Well, good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to be here again, and I'm grateful for the outpouring of love that I just observed toward Albert and Jen, dear friends of ours who, uh, who work very hard and, uh, and love you very much. And so every time that we're together and we're talking about the church, that's what I hear. That's what comes forward is how much Jen and and Albert both love this congregation and are delighted to be here. So thank you for having me. Um, if you have your Bible this morning, we're going to be looking at two passages from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1, the first four verses, and then the last paragraph of chapter 4. Oh, great. Let me read these aloud after um, a brief prayer. Lord, just as we have been singing and focusing this morning, asking you to open our ears, to adjust our vision and our eyesight, that we might see you as you are and follow you, to be filled by you. God, we pray now that as your word goes forward, as we consider these words from Hebrews, God, that you would work in our hearts and work to transform our minds that we might see you as you are and and that the blessing of seeing you as you are would permeate our hearts our minds our lives our relationships primarily lord our relationship to you god we pray that you would draw each of us closer to you as a result of your word going forward and um, irrigated, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. So we entrust ourselves to you, Lord, and I pray that you would have mercy on me and help, um, help me, Lord, now to, um, to speak as you would have me to speak. In Christ's name, amen. In one way, if we think about the whole of Scripture, it's a testament, it's a narrative about God's relationship to humankind and to the world. So in one way, we could, we could think of Scripture as a record of how God has been created, well, how God has created and then relates to his creation. It's a record of how he relates to us and to the world. And the essence of relationship, I think, you could say is communicating and responding. The, the essence of any relationship is communicating and responding. So if we think back on Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we see God communicating. God, and we learn later in John 1, that Christ is the agent of this speech. And then, and then we see creation, or nothing, responding to God's word and, and being created, obeying his voice, at the end of which he sat down. Um, his creation words were affected such that he could rest from his work because there was nothing else to do. There was nothing to improve. There was no fine-tuning or tweaking necessary. And so God resting on the seventh day doesn't really tell us that he got tired by creation. It, instead of that, it punctuates the fact that he created perfectly. He said it's 
very good. It's kind of like, not to be crass, kind of like a mic drop. Like, like God said all these things and all the, the, these different aspects of creation responded to him so perfectly and it, it came out of his mind so perfectly that when it was finished, he sat down, he put his feet up. I don't know about you, but I never can do that. I mean, I put my feet up all the time. I rest all the time. But not because everything I've done is perfect. Not because there's nothing left to do. There's always um, a lawn to be mowed or gutters to be cleaned or a laundry basket that needs to be folded or put away. There's never a time in my life where I can say everything that's in my mind to do and to, and it is done. And it, everything that I've said Whatever I've spoken to has responded to me so perfectly that I can now rest. But that's what we see in creation. God communicating and the world responding perfectly. We see it especially, um, it zeroes in, it kind of slows down when we get to the relationship between God and Moses where God is communicating with Moses and Moses is responding, the Red Sea parting, or his rod, his staff turning into a serpent, whatever it was. We see this dialogue, this, this communication and response, and it's, it becomes mutual at that point where Moses begins to intercede for the people and ask God to do things, and God responds to Moses. So we see a new dynamic to this communicating and responding where now it's mutual. In fast-forwarding, this one of my favorite scenes from Matthew's Gospel, it's this series of vignettes that are put together in rapid-fire sequence where after the Sermon on the Mount, I think it's a leper who comes to Jesus first, this unclean person, and Jesus communicates to the leper. He communicates to leprosy, and he, he commands this man to be clean, and, and the leprosy obeys him. And then they end up at, then there's a centurion who's got a sick um, relationship or someone in his relation is sick and he says, I know that you can command, you can communicate to this sick person who's not even here because I have um, authority as well. And if you just say the word, if you just communicate, you just phone it in, I know that this is going to happen, that this, this disease will respond to your words. And sure enough, that happens. And word gets back that in that very hour, the person was made well. And then Jesus is at Peter's house. And there's this whole parade of sick people, starting with Peter's own mother-in-law. And Jesus communicates, and, and she responds by becoming well. And then there are all these um, demon-possessed people and people with other various diseases. And Jesus, like, almost like he's in a batting cages, um, he just starts speaking and communicating to one after the other of all these different maladies and all of them respond in obedience to him and then he's on the the water with his disciples and there's this storm that blows up in, in the midst of um of the lake and these are seasoned uh seamen this is what they see these storms all the time but this time they're saying we are perishing this isn't a storm like the other squalls that typically blow up in that bowl where that lake is which was a frequent occurrence. They said, they were convinced this one's gonna actually take us down. Uh, it was that bad. It was a great storm, the scripture says. 
And then Jesus communicated to the storm. He rebuked the wind and the waves. And it says immediately there was a great calm. So symmetrical to how great the storm was, now the calm is so great that it's bewildering, like not even a little ripple on the lake. And the disciples' response is, who is this? Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? And then the crescendo miracle is when Jesus, they get to the other side and he's teaching in a house and dirt starts to fall on him and whatever as these people are digging a hole in the roof and a guy gets dropped through the roof and Jesus, with his words, says, your faith, because of your faith, your sins are forgiven. He said that with his mouth. So then something in heaven happens transactionally between Yahweh and this sinful paralytic that we know happened because everything that God says, whenever he communicates, everything responds perfectly and completely to him without any compromise. And so we know somehow this guy's account got changed and he was declared righteous because of his faith in Jesus. And to prove it to the people who are grumbling and saying, who has authority on earth to forgive sins? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus, perceiving that, said, just so you know that that other thing happened, which is easier to say, just something that no one can see, this invisible miracle of forgiveness, or to tell this man, rise and walk. And so he tells the man to rise and walk, and he immediately does. Relationships are communication and response. The problem with my relationships, even my best relationships, is they all have stress fractures, right? I, I'm messing up regularly. My wife is messing up regularly. My kids are messing up regularly. Albert and I have had some full and frank discussions because usually it's my fault. I, I'm doing something pig-headed or, or I'm not seeing something that I should see. All of our relationships are strained and fractured. They're transactional on some level. Where I'm constantly, not constantly, but I'm regularly having to ask forgiveness and, and, and appeal for mercy and, and ask people for help because I can't do something myself. And we all know that this is true. I'm not trying to say something new. Let's just agree that when we do that, we feel like, well, now I owe you one. Or I wonder if they're going to forgive me, but I wonder if now they've got this idea in their head of what I'm really like and, and that I, I keep sinning in this way and I have to apologize to the kids for raising my voice again or apologize to my wife for being late again or whatever the conflict is. They put strain on our relationships, don't they? So it gets harder and harder for us to keep asking for mercy. It gets harder and harder for us to keep asking for help because we feel like we're wearing out the relationship. So our tendency is to kind of cover for ourselves or try to do things on our own and, and avoid those kinds of conflicts. As we go to the scriptures this morning and look at Hebrews chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter 4, what I'd like to suggest is our biggest problem in terms of our relationship with God is that we impose this human, horizontal kind of relationship dynamic. We, we impose that on our relationship with God. And so we behave the same way when we need mercy and grace. 
My first move when I know I'm in a season of dryness or in a season of rebellion or if I've just like blown it in some way, my default setting, and I'm probably not the only one, is to treat myself as radioactive in terms of my relationship with God, to think I'm going to fix this, I'm going to get it better, whatever, and, and then when things are better, I'll go back to enjoying my relationship with God. I'll pick up the conversation once I kind of tape my ankle and bandage up this wound. That is wrong. Uh, that is not the relationship with God that has been set up. The relationship that you share with Yahweh is unique to every other relationship that you have. It's completely unique. There's no way you can wear out God. You can feel in your heart like that there's a strain. I think that that's just conviction of the Holy Spirit, that there's a conversation that needs to happen. You can, you can feel like you've blown it or strained your relationship, surely. God never feels that way about you. God will never feel like you are uh, pushing it or you are putting strain on this relationship. It's impossible. It's impossible for God to see you that way. There's never a time when you can't just go to God and immediately receive abundant mercy and abundant grace for help in every time of need. That's what we're going to see. And it goes back to that creation narrative as we'll see as well. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 through 4 says and then we'll look at Hebrews 4 as well. Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in, who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Your relationship with God is unique because... Jesus is unique. He's a unique mediator. God's used mediators all through creation. He used Jesus as a mediator to create, but then he got um, Abraham, and then he got Moses, and then um, after the law of Moses, he, according to here and as we see in our Bibles, um, he had all these prophets that came as mediators to speak. He had um, the judges as mediators. Then he had kings 
as mediators. There were always mediators between God and his people. Lots of them, all the time. Essentially, the prophets were sent to every generation of Israel to, as a mediator to say, hey, here's the stuff that's going well, and here's the stuff that's not going well. And you remember back in Deuteronomy when Moses gave us th- those three sermons before we entered the promised land, essentially saying, if you obey my law and do the things that I'm calling you to do, it will go well with you. And if you don't obey my law, and if you disobey me and do things I'm telling you not to do, it's gonna go badly for you. He didn't just say that once through Moses, he did. But then he faithfully continued by grace to send these prophets to kind of invite Israel in. Let's take a knee. Let's, let's do a little um, six-month review. Let's do a little 20-year review. And let's talk about the things that are going well. But you know, it's interesting. In all of that, God wasn't, the refrain of the prophets is not return to the law. Return to the law. Obey. It is that. Th- th- that's certainly a strain in the prophets, right? But the refrain of the prophets is, return to me. Return to me. Come back from your direction, your points of departure. Come back so that we can restore our relationship. And and the, the writer of Hebrews starts his letter by saying, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. God communicated to his people through the prophets, hoping, yearning, for them to respond the way that creation responded, hoping, yearning that they would respond and and come back to him to return. Jesus says over Jerusalem when he's there, how many times would I have gathered you under my wing? That's a reference to these prophets. I mean, I've been speaking. I've been communicating generation after generation. Why, Why wouldn't you return to me? That's all I wanted. So, He did this through the prophets, and it worked for a little while. It worked for a little while through the judges. You know, they would get things right. They'd cry out for mercy because they're being oppressed, and then someone would be raised up, and they'd cry out for mercy, and it would get fixed for a little while, and then they would wander off again. But, But through that story, see the faithful appeals of God. He didn't send one prophet or two prophets. He sent a whole bunch of them. He's always been calling out and seeking our response but they were insufficient and if there was atonement made it only lasted for a generation and then the next generation would blow it and then they had to have a new prophet sent and a new response written in the book but in these last days uh, in contrast to the prophets back then and long ago, now in these days, in these last days, he has spoken to us in a different kind of way. He's spoken to us by his son. Who is this person? He appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. And it says he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So Jesus here unequivocally is God. God himself has come, as we know, Emmanuel, God with us. God himself has come. In the past, he's sent messengers. Now, he's repelling in to creation himself. This is God. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. 
And it says that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. You've got to get that into your head. I need to get that into my head. That, that this Jesus, whatever he's going to do for us, he actively right now is upholding the, wor- the world by the word of his power. The whole universe is held together and sustained by him. What does that have to do with me? What does it have to do? How does that change my relationship to God? How does that make my relationship to God different than my relationship with my wife, which is, which, which is like this, or any other human relationship, which is like this, and sometimes like this? How does Jesus, being God and upholding the universe by the word of his power, how does that change things for me? How does that give me assurance that I can always go to him and know that my relationship with him from his standpoint is never strained? It's not elastic. It's not elastic like every other relationship, like the old rubber band in your drawer that you're worried if you wrap it around the chips, it's going to break because it's kind of dry rotted. That's how a lot of our relationships can get, but not this one. Why? Listen to what he goes on to say about this one who's upholding the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. After making purification for the sins that you committed when you were a teenager, after making purification for the sins that you committed when you were a grown person and married, after making purification for the sins that you're going to commit, after making purification for the whole seasons of your life where you've just gone about your business, maybe chasing something else, chasing money or chasing a relationship or chasing your own vanity or your reputation and you, you kind of came to your senses after six months or, or six years and said, this is wrong, this is sick. After making purification for sins, all of them, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. It's another mic drop. It's the only other one in scripture. It happens in creation, which is referenced here. By him, the whole world was created. And then he sat down because it was so good. And after making purification once for all, for all of your sins, for anything that would keep me from God, after dealing with them, he sat down. Joanna has never done that, my wife. And I've not done that for her. Like, we're keeping a record. We got to talk about stuff. We hurt each other. We wound each other actively, regularly. But this time, this is different because God himself comes and God himself once for all makes purification for all of your sins and then he sits down, but he doesn't sit down in, like in a separate room. He doesn't have his own chamber. It's not just that he's done with your purification. He is. He's done. There's nothing else that needs to be done for you to have access to God that's unbroken and unstrained. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So the thing that he did in his body, later in the letter it will say, you didn't delight in the sacrifices of bulls and goats, but a body you prepared for me. You will delight in this sacrifice. You made me a body so that I could come and make purification for sins in a different way than bulls and goats ever could. 
So this one who has a body, the body that was punctured and, and crucified and sacrificed for you to make purification for your sins is planted at the right hand of God, always visible. That's why the relationship is different. Everything that's needed for your purification is constantly before the eyes of God the Father. This sacrifice, this living hope that we've been singing about and thinking about, this is our living hope as Kim prayed. He is our living hope. The one who is alive and planted at the right hand of God always saying, this one is clean. This one is screwing up all the time, but this one is clean. This one is spoken for. This one has been purified. And, and he's never moving. That's why we have living hope. That's why this relationship is different than any other relationship. We don't have to go crawling in and making a bargain. We don't have to fix ourselves and then go prove how sorry we were and, and look at how much better I'm doing now. It's been three months since we've last spoken or whatever. Because of Jesus' sacrifice and because of his position before the throne of God, a seated position, he's telling you and he's telling me, there's nothing else to do, man. There's nothing else to do for your purification. It's done. It's perfect. It's as perfect as it was when I sat down over the perfect world with the eye of, a, of, a, of an owl being so perfectly crafted that it could see and hear the way it does and fly at night and catch mice out of a pitch black field. Just like I created all the stuff so perfectly that I could sit down, everything about your purification is done in the same way, in the same kind of perfect way. For me, this requires imagination. It requires me to remember, and, and when I think about Jesus, to not, I don't mean to sound sacrilegious, I don't think about the cross when I think about Jesus. I don't. When I think about Jesus, when I pray to Jesus, I imagine him at the right hand of God having been crucified. The cross is in the picture, don't get me wrong, but the cross is the thing by which he became this sacrifice who's alive and seated at the right hand of God having been crucified on the cross. But my living hope is not a cross. My living hope is Jesus who's alive. Jesus who's alive and who's seated on my behalf saying to Keith, when I screw up, dude, relax. It's done. It's finished. I'm not going to get up. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get up and go through some motions to help you feel like you're doing something to make up for something. It's done. I'm, I'm sitting down. My work is finished. And I don't have to get up and like tidy up after you. It's done. So it, it requires our imagination to remember who Jesus is, where he is, and what he's doing. My only grievance ab about that song, there's no, it's not a grievance. He, he broke every chain and stuff like that. I like to keep that language in the present tense. He's breaking every chain. By his sacrifice, because he's here, he's keeping me alive. He's keeping me in hope. He's breaking 
the chains. He's snapping the vines that wrap around my legs and entangle me so easily. He's the one that's doing that all the time for me from a seated position. And to follow this into chapter four, we see kind of the implication of it. Since we have a great high priest, priests are people who intercede for other people. And Jesus is this great high priest. He's your great high priest and he's passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession of Jesus and that he's our living hope. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That just sheds light on his compassion, his patience, his mercy, and everything that's gonna happen in this next verse. Let us then with confidence keep drawing near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us then, the conclusion of this thought, of these two passages that, that, that bookend this section, the application that this pastor is making, let us then with confidence keep on drawing near to the throne of grace. Don't stay back there. Don't, don't put yourself back in the court of the Gentiles. Don't hide somewhere because you feel dirty. He says, no, no, no. Your high priest has gone through the heavens, is seated at the right hand of God, and not only that, man, he understands. He understands that you're hitting every guardrail. He was getting, his, his car was listing to the right and to the left as well. He understands how that thing can pull and get crazy. It's just that he never hit a guardrail. But he understands that it's, it's hard to do this. It's hard to run this race. It's hard to not give up. He understands that. He understands that, and so he can sympathize with our weaknesses. And then it says, let us then, in conclusion, this is the, this is, this is the application, let us then with confidence, that means saying it all. That's if you wanted to interpret that Greek word, saying everything. Let us then, saying everything, keep on drawing near to the throne of grace. It's, it's an active, ongoing verb. Keep on drawing near to the throne of grace that we may keep on receiving mercy and keep on receiving grace to help in time of need. That's what he's calling us to. That's what's hard to do in other relationships. Man, if I, I'm gonna wear people out if I keep on coming to them, saying it all. Good grief, I don't know if I do that with anybody. And keep on coming with confidence, saying it all, so that I can throw myself on their mercy and throw myself on their grace to help. I've got a friend who used to say, a friend in need is a needy friend. You know, that, that's a person that's gonna wear you out. But, but this is unique. It, it, if there's a parallel passage to this image in the New Testament, in the Gospels, I'm sorry, it's Jesus when he feeds the multitudes. Because there's this series of um, fixed verbs, like verbs that happen once, and then there's an ongoing verb that, that creates this really wild picture. And, and it's, it's when he's feeding these multitudes, it says, and he took the bread and blessed it and broke it 
So those are all fixed. He took it once, and he blessed it once, and then he broke it once, but then it, it transitions just like this does. Then he kept on giving it to his disciples. So the, the image here, if you, again, use your imagination, is Jesus is this endless supply of bread. As soon as some bread leaves his hand to hand to, to Peter, he gets a little bit more and he gives it to Matthew. And he gets a little bit more and he gives it to Simon. And, and this bread is just flowing out of Jesus incessantly, having taken it and blessed it and broke it. He's this endless supply of nourishment. Here's the same kind of idea. He passed through the heavens. And now he's this endless supply of mercy and grace for help in every time of need. Never gonna quibble with you about it. Sympathizes with you. Is the high priest you can come to and say, yeah, I T-boned that guardrail really hard. Or I gave up and I got out and walked and I left the car back there because I just got tired of it. I thought I knew a shortcut or whatever it is or I've been driving the wrong way. He's the, the high priest that invites us to constantly come to him for mercy and grace that's ever flowing from the throne of grace. So if there's a conclusion, if there's a hope that I have for myself and for you, it's that we can treat God because of Jesus, because of our living hope, that we can treat God differently than we treat any other relationship. As the, the reading that, that, that I um, read this morning from Isaiah 55, um, the appeal here is, let the wicked man forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. And then he, and then he goes into this thing about, for my ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. My thoughts are not your thoughts as high as the heavens are above the earth, etc. His appeal is, don't treat me the way you treat everybody else. Don't treat me the way you treat yourself. Man, if you're blowing it, just return to me, and I'm gonna pour out compassion on you. Just return to me, and I will abundantly pardon you. And, and the reason I'm gonna do that and keep doing that is you won't even understand it. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. The way that you interact with every other relationship is foreign to the way that I relate to you. That was in Isaiah. That was before Jesus. But now, having seen how is it that God can do this, we understand now through this, this, the fact that God comes himself and is sacrificed himself and is raised and is seated now before God, having made perfect atonement. This is true for us. My hope is, God, help us relate to you this way. Help us to get our head around the fact that we can come to you immediately and just say, I, I, I just need to stop and I need to come right now and ask for mercy and grace for help in every time of need. And I know you're gonna hear me. And, and I see Jesus seated at your right hand. He's my living hope. He's the reason that I can keep coming and saying even if it's the same thing all the time, I can keep coming and receiving this mercy that's flowing out of you constantly without ceasing. I can receive grace for help in time of need because it's flowing from you constantly without ceasing. 
It's the only relationship in the world that's never strained because you get tired of me, that never, never gets strained because I'm a broken record of need. In fact, it's a command. It's a command. Hey, disciple, if you want to get it right, then you need to be a disciple who's, who's wearing out a path in the grass going constantly to the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace for help. That's what a healthy disciple looks like. A healthy disciple is not someone who doesn't need this. That person doesn't exist. A healthy disciple is someone who's, who's continuing, keep on coming to the throne of grace to find mercy and grace for help. Jesus wants to show his sympathy to you. He wants to show his compassion to you. He wants you to know that you've received mercy. That exalts Jesus. It exalts Jesus. It magnifies him. It gives him glory for you to come and say, you are my source of mercy. You are my source of strength. I have no health except for you. It gives him glory for us to say that. It recognizes his position. It recognizes the work that he did and finished, and it was perfect. It gives him glory for us to relate to him this way. It diminishes him to relate to him the other way. It diminishes him if I think that this is some kind of quid pro quo, or I know I've blown it out of respect. I'm just going to keep my distance. What I'm doing is spitting on the fact that he made purification for my sins and sat down at the right hand of God. It seems humble, but it's not. It's sick. It's me saying, what you did was great. I'm going to just go tweak a few things. What you did for me in terms of making purification for my sins was great. Thanks for footing the bill. I'm just going to cover the tip. I'm just going to see what I've got. I just want to help out. And I, I, it sounds funny, but this is unfortunately how I often relate to God. Because I've got him posted in the same kind of relationship that every other relationship is like. And my thoughts are a certain way, but his thoughts are a different way. And my ways are a certain way, and all my relationships are a certain way, but his ways are a different way, a better way, a higher way. So we do have a better mediator, and therefore we have a better relationship, a uniquely better relationship. And, and let's lay off of the kind of false humility that says, I'm going to manage this, or I'm so sorry that I'm going to keep my distance. That's not glorifying Jesus. Glorifying Jesus is saying, I am coming here all the time to, to hear again, to see you again, to receive again the fact that you've shown me mercy and say thank you. And also help, help. Because I gotta get back in my car and, and you know how wild the steering is on that thing? I'm probably gonna do it again. But help, help me stay on the road. Empower me to please you and to do your will. And I'll see you again in 15 minutes. That gives glory to God. That, that recognizes the uniqueness of his position, the uniqueness of his sacrifice, and my need for it. That's what he came for. And that's what he's sitting down to do. That's what he's sitting down to administer. God, we pray that you would give us, as we've been praying and singing, Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit that we might have faith to see Jesus as he is, where he is, 
having done what he's done once for all, making purification for our sins, but help us to see that he is at your right hand constantly administering mercy and grace that keeps us intact. Lord, give us faith to know that this relationship never gets old or tired or strained. Lord, help us purge our minds of the way that we think about every other relationship. Purge our minds of that sickness that, that ultimately equates to us trying to share your work or deny your work. Give us faith, Lord, to come constantly, regularly for these two specific things, mercy and grace for help. Mercy and grace for help. Let those words be on our lips, Lord, on a daily, at least, basis, for it's the way that we glorify you. Help each one here, Lord, to to wear that path to your throne of grace with those two requests on our lips. For Lord, that's the most direct way that we can give you praise and glory is to ask you for those things, recognizing that you have been exalted and given a name and a ministry above every other name and ministry. Thank you, Jesus, that you are right now, even now, at the right hand of God, mediating for each one here who knows you. And Lord, if there's someone here who doesn't know you, who's come in with a friend or is a newcomer and and just wondering about all of this, Lord, we pray that you would work in each heart. Penetrate, Lord, and set us free. Lord, and help us to see you for who you are. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.